Welcome to Mile High Magazine. Mile High Magazine takes a look at the issues and people shaping events in Colorado. Presented by the Public Affairs Department of Bonneville, Denver. Here's your host, Murphy Houston. And welcome in. It's another edition of Mile High Magazine. And I am Murphy Houston. Hope you're all having a good day. We've got our friends from the Dumb Friends League here. My friend Maya Brusso, Public Relations Manager at the Dumb Friends League, is in to talk about a lot of different things going on over there. The telethon coming up, that's like next week. That's right. That's pretty cool. But uh, let's let's start by the Dumb Friends League. You know, I've been working with you guys for, gosh, 20 years at least. And you've grown and you're changing and you're changing the Quebec Street Shelter. And you've added the Equine Center down near uh, Franktown. And it's just wonderful what you guys have done. So let's talk about that a little bit, about the Dumb Friends League. Yeah, you know, the Dumb Friends League has been in the community since 1910. So we're more than 100 years old. And obviously, things have changed a lot in animal welfare since then. The thing that's really probably our most common question, people always ask, why do you call animals dumb? You know, I get that question all the time. Yeah, and I understand that because the word dumb has a little bit different of a meaning now than it did in 1910 when the organization was founded. Back then, people were... referred to animals as dumb because they lacked the power of speech. Right. Remember the deaf, dumb, and blind thing that people would always say. So as an organization, we actually speak for those who lack the power of of speech. So we give a voice to the voiceless. And when people hear that explanation, they usually are like, oh, wow, that's really beautiful. I think it's beautiful. So, um, and it has a great name recognition. It's definitely memorable. And yes, yes. like I said, we've been in the community now since 1910. And you've made a lot of changes for sure over the years. Yeah, and absolutely. Did I not read or I've heard because I talked to you guys a lot. You saved like 19,000 pets last year. Yeah. 19,000. Yes. More than 19,000 pets and horses. Don't forget about the horses, our oh, equine yeah. center. And that's such a beautiful spot. It is. It's yeah, gorgeous. Yeah, it really is. But talk about the pets you've saved and what that's all about for our community. You know, we are an open admissions shelter. That means we don't turn any animal away, regardless of if they're old or ill, injured, sick, unwanted, lost, anything. And so we always open our doors to every animal in need, regardless of any of that. So the fact that we're able to still save so many lives and be able to offer new chances to these pets is really incredible. And it's something that we can't do without the help of our community. Not 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 just people who come in and adopt our animals, but people who come in and volunteer and work with our animals, but then also people who give back and 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 donate to the dumb friends league it really is a full community effort to do oh, what we do and i totally agree because you know i've emceed a few of your events and the turnout and the support from our community is unbelievable yes and how many volunteers do you have with the dumb friends league we have on average more than 1400 volunteers at any given time think about that i mean most uh, nonprofits would die to have that <laughs> Yeah, in fact, I heard the coolest statistic that I love about this. Our volunteers put in enough time every year that they equal about what would be 100 full-time paid employees for as far as the amount of hours that they put in. Wow, that's so they, incredible. They, they are extremely valuable to our organization. They do everything from clean kennels to walk dogs, all kinds of different stuff. So it's a really good opportunity. If anybody's looking for a way to give back, volunteering is a really great way to give back at the Dumb Friends League. It really is. The hardest job, and I've talked to folks that have done it, I don't know how they can be a foster parent for a pet and then give that pet up. It would crush me. I know. We Well, when people don't give the pets back, we call them foster failures. <laughs> and I think there's several foster parents who have been in that failure, have been foster failures. But they'll all tell you that it's so rewarding to know that you helped that animal along their journey. You know, they came to the shelter for whatever reason. They were lost, unwanted, sick, ill, injured, and they played a role in getting that animal ready for adoption and ready to go into their new home. And as much as it can be really hard for them, they still are so just so dedicated and they feel so good about the fact that they were able to really make a difference in that pet's life. And they do make a difference. And, And what people need to know, and maybe you can talk about this, Maya, just a little bit, you're just not putting pets out the door. I mean, it's a it's a process to adopt at the Dumb Friends League, isn't it? Yeah, you know, it's when an animal comes to us, we always will evaluate that animal for whatever it might need. Sometimes animals need special behavior care before they can be put out into a new home. Right. Fear is a really big thing that happens with a lot of pets that show up in a shelter. 
Sometimes they need medical care. Sometimes they come in with some sort of medical condition that we can treat. You know, we are we as an organization work to relieve suffering. And if an animal comes to us and it is it is it is suffering in some way, it's injured, it's sick, whatever, we will work to make sure that animal is well and is cared for. And sometimes sometimes it's as easy as an animal comes in. We evaluate them. They're good to go. We put them right up for adoption. But some of them take a lot of time and a lot of care before they're available. I know the dog that we have, little little bear dog, little white dog. I don't even know what it is, but my wife loves this dog. I love this dog. Had to have surgery, and the people that owned it couldn't afford the surgery mm-hmm. for a hind leg hip thing, and you guys took care of it. Yeah. And then uh, Bear spent some time with a foster family, healed up. I found out about it and said, you're coming to my house. And you know, my wife and I went down there, and now Bear's been with us for two, three years already. Yeah, and that's a that's a common journey for a lot of pets that come to us. One of the saddest adventures I've had through the Dumb Friends League, um, we've adopted probably seven dogs from you guys. Uh, one Father's Day, my children got together and adopted an older dog, an old chocolate lab that apparently was found wandering along the western slope. And the story behind that was... You know, some of the folks that work in the ski resorts at the wintertime, they all have dogs. And then when the season's over and they're moving on, they just let their dogs go. Oh, that's so sad. Yeah, so poor Bailey, that's what you named him, Chocolate Bailey. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, apparently lived on garbage, roadkill. And they found him and brought him to the Dumb Friends League. And he was, I got to just tell the story. When my grandson was first born and he, he had some problems and he cried a lot. And he'd lay on the floor and I tried to get him not to cry and it never worked. Bailey comes over. Lays next to Grayson, and he's probably seven months old at this time, just like that. Stop crying. Oh. I mean, it chokes me up even talking about it's it. It's so sweet. But that's what you can do by getting a pet from the Dumb Friends League, finding something for your family that becomes your family. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's it's cool. Like, you can come in and meet your new best friend, your new family member, however you refer to pets in your life. I mean, we right. live in a community where people love animals. It's very clear. You can go to any brewery or park on the weekend and people have their dogs out everywhere lots of cat lovers as well you know it's pets are an extension of our families a lot people here believe that and like i said without people who have that feeling we would not be able to do what we do and you know it's it's really cool to see people make that connection in the shelter meet their new family member and they know and then they're just ready to take them home and start their new lives together plus you're saving a pet and you know you you can go somewhere and buy dogs that are hundreds and thousands i don't know how much you pay for a dog anymore for a a purebred but you can go to the dumb friends like and just find somebody and it's not that much to adopt is it no our adoption fees range from 250 dollars for puppies they're kind of on a sliding scale based on age so 200 $150 $150 for puppies down to $50 for an adult animal. So it just depends on the animal's age. And every once in a while, we will have adoption specials where it's like half price for adult animals or something like that. But yeah, anywhere from $250 to, to $50 for to bring love to, you know, a lifetime of love and companionship is what right. I always say, because they will be so happy that you brought them home. Yeah. And you'll be happy that you brought them exactly. home. Exactly. As they settle in with your family. And getting back a little bit to the volunteers, and we talked about some of the work that some dogs need medical care. Mm-hmm. I mean, how many veterinarians volunteer their time at the Dumb Friendly? Well, we actually have a staff of, of full-time veterinarians as well. We have eight full-time veterinarians at the Dumb Friends League. And then we also have... And those those uh, veterinarians don't just work at the shelter. They also work at our mobile units that provide low cost and no cost spay neuter for cats and dogs in the community, as well as our solutions cat spay neuter clinic that offers free spay neuters for cats all the time. Sure. So th- that they cover all of that. They not only care for shelter animals, but they also care for owned pets that come right. to us for that. But we also have a lot of great volunteers that come in uh, that are vet techs. We have a great group of volunteers that I was just talking to the other day. A lot of them are nurses, and they work oh. in surgery recovery at the Dumb Friends League. So they're nurses for people in their in their paid jobs, and then they come in and volunteer at the Dumb Friends League and help animals when they're waking up, coming out of anesthesia, monitoring their their temperatures to make sure you know that everything's going well as they come out of anesthesia, snuggling with the dogs as they're waking up, and they were telling me that it's just their happiest day when oh, they get sure. to come in and volunteer. It's their therapy probably a little yeah. bit to get to, because they see some real issues as nurses and then to help animals like that probably exactly. feels good for them. Yeah, it and they really have this is. medical background too, so it's great. So at the Dumb Friends League too, it's more than just adopting pets. I know that you have a behavioral classes. Uh, if somebody is afraid that maybe a pet in their neighborhood is being abused, 
they can call you and you might investigate that problem. Is that not true? Yeah. So as far as the behavior piece, one really cool resource that we do have, and you can find out about it on our website, ddfl.org. Aside from having great behavior handouts that you can, you know, if you just go in and search and say, my dog's chewing up my couch and we can, you know, <laughs> help sure. you with something like that. But we have a free behavior helpline as well. And you can go online and schedule an appointment and you'll have one of our behavior counselors will call you and actually just talk you through kind of some of the issues and help you at least get on the right on the path to help your pet sure it's not going to be you know this is it, you're not going to have like behavior every single week and and we're going to give that service to you for free but it will at least give you some good tools to start with mm-hmm. and maybe also tell you where else you can you can find resources to help and it's a free service available to anyone it doesn't matter if you adopted your pet from the dumb friends league which is a really 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 great service because the goal is for when animals to be adopted we want them to stay in their homes and if we can help provide those types of resources it helps them stay in their homes and instead of people having to turn to relinquishment because of behavior issues. And then as far as investigations, yeah, we actually, so kind of an interesting thing, the Dumb Friends League also has, is Colorado Humane Society is a wholly owned subsidiary of the Dumb Friends League. Little known fact for people, a lot of people don't know that. And so we investigate cases of animal neglect and cruelty across the state and work with sheriff's offices in several counties. I believe it's 44, don't quote me on that. And yeah. and across the across the state and work with those offices. A lot of times for people, the, the complaints that come in, it ends up being more of an educational thing. Like, sure. you know, sometimes people just, they don't know. And so our, our agents will go out and say, you know, if you have a horse, you need to be providing X, Y, and Z for that horse and then they'll go back and check up a, a week later and they've provided those things for that horse. So it thankfully here in our in our state, we have because we have great people, we don't have as many cases as some areas do. But obviously, if you think you see anything happening in your neighborhood that you think is not right, you definitely should call and and have somebody look into it because, you know, it, we, we would always rather check it out and find out that there isn't something going on or be able to educate somebody there out in the field or get that animal out of the situation if that's what needs to happen. And what would that phone number be? Is it a special phone number or the typical You can call the Dumb Friends League the main number, which is 303-751-5772, and we will get you through. You can follow the prompts and get where you need to go for that. That's very cool. So over the years, you've grown since I've been in Denver since 86. It was the Quebec Street Shelter. Then it was the Buddy Center down Mm -hmm. in Castle Rock, and then the Equine Center for Horses down in Franktown. How's that been? I mean, that's phenomenal growth. And now you're basically gutting the Quebec Street Shelter. Yeah, it's amazing. So we're able, the great thing about having the different locations, we're able to help more pets in the community. We're able to be a resource for more people in the community as well. The Quebec Street Shelter was, I don't know how many square feet it is now because part of it's been demolished, but its it was about 85,000 square feet. When we're done with the construction project we're working on, it's going to be about 110, 111,000 square feet. Incredible. And the big, the big change that most people will notice, if you've been to the Dumb Friends League in the last 40 years, you probably remember walking through that circular area where right. all the dogs were available right. for adoption. Somebody yeah. described it the other day to me as like that spaceship area. And I said, that's probably, <laughs> that'll probably resonate with people. They'll remember that. That area is completely gone. It's already been demolished. We did that last year. And now we're on the construction phase. And hopefully by early 2019, we are going to have that new dog adoptions area open. And then we start doing some improvements in other places in the shelter. It is a huge project. It is going to touch a lot of departments. It's going to make a lot of real big differences in animals' lives and also just be a better environment for animals and people when they come in. And aren't you trying to raise money for that? I mean, that's not cheap. You have some do- a lot of donations for that, yes, too. Yes, we are super fortunate that we have a very generous grant from the Leslie and John Malone Foundation. They've What they are doing is a $20 million match. Whew. It's a $40 million project. Wow. So we have about $10 million still to go in what we need to raise to fund this project. So... That's no that's that's not a drop in the bucket. So we have we have a lot of work to do with that, but it is uh it's gonna be a phenomenal change to the shelter. How do people help with that money? That's you're right. Ten million's a lot to get done. Absolutely. You can yeah. go online to our website at ddfl.org. Right on the main page you'll see a tile that says Building a Better Way Home. That's the name of our capital campaign. And you can just click on that and learn more about it and also give if you are so inclined. And the Malones are matching twenty. Twenty that's million. That's right. And didn't they also help with the equine center, the Malones? Yes, absolutely. Uh, and, yeah, and they're 
that equine center is just incredible. It's, it's it like is. the Ponderosa. <laughs> yeah, no, we, we, we always say, you know, when when we have horses that come to us from some of them come to us from abuse situations or neglect situations, probably more neglect than abuse. You know, this place must just seem like heaven to them when oh, they, yeah. they walk off of the trailer and there's these beautiful rolling hills down by Franktown. Oh, it's beautiful. And the facility is great. We are so fortunate to be able to offer this service to equines, to horses. Horses, we get donkeys. We got get miniature horses. We got miniature horses last year. You probably heard about that. Yeah. You know, it's great to be able to offer not only a place for them to go, but we do some really cool training to help get them ready to be a pet for somebody. Well, not really a pet. Well, Kind of a pet, kind of, though, really. Right. They don't live in your house. No, no. To to go home with you, you know, we, you know, and it depends. Do you want a pasture pet? Do you want a a companion for another horse that you have? Or do you want a horse that you can go out and trail ride with? We can help people find the right horse as far as that goes. But also we put a lot of work and training into these horses to make them ready for that whatever their next adventure is going to be when they leave. Right. And and you're surrounded down there by horse people. I Mm -hmm. mean, it's people that know horses, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's horse country down there. There's, we're not the only stables down in that area. There's a whole lot. It's uh, a beautiful area. Yeah, it it is just to go down there. I don't know. Can you just go down and visit if you want just to see it? Yeah. The regular hours are Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. So you can come on over on those, on the weekends and just check it out. Just see it. I mean, kids love to see horses, you know, bring them out. We do, uh, we have an event in early June that we do every year. It's more of an expo to kind of show the training that we do, but you'd be able to come out and, and check that out as well. And, and be able to get some training demos and things like that, especially if you're interested in getting a horse, it's a good chance to kind of learn some of our techniques. And again, adopting a horse, you're helping another pet. Yeah, yeah. Adopting a horse is not something that people think of quite as much as cats and dogs, obviously, but you can get a great horse, a great horse through the Harmony Equine Center. It's it's really great. It, It is. It's all part of the Dumb Friends League. And speaking of the Equine Center, just... I guess three weeks ago now, I was down there emceeing a big event uh, for our friend Bob Rohde, who's been the CEO of the Dumb Friends League for, is it 45 years? Yeah, it was 40, 44, 45-ish. He was at that anniversary, but I think left before the official anniversary. So. Well, and he finally retired. Uh, it wasn't run out. Bob's <laughs> a good friend of mine. I can tease him. <laughs> we, we golf a lot, and he gives me a hard time about my golf. So when I can give him a hard time back, it's it's very good. But he's done unbelievable work for the Dumb Friends League over the years. Yeah, you know, Bob started in the early 70s at the Dumb Friends League. He was cleaning kennels back then. And it was, animal welfare was a really different world back then. And he he has been able to, to push for changes and work towards changes that have helped pets not only here in Colorado, but across the country and even influence people in other parts of the world. Absolutely. He has had an amazing career and... He's real. He's dedicated his life to to animals. He, he really certainly has. has. At the retirement dinner, I mean, there were people there from all over the country and Australia and Hawaii. I mean, typically, the outreach from what Bob's done with the Dumb Friends League nationally and internationally is phenomenal. Yeah, he was a big believer in collaboration. He believes when when an, other animal welfare organizations work together it only helps animals more but not not just animal welfare organizations he believed in working together with the agricultural community with all of these different communities where a lot of times animal welfare and you know agriculture or somebody might butt heads he was really big on let how can we work together and come up with the best outcome for everybody so he he very was very influential in that space. Well, he thinks he's retired, but I got a feeling that the phone will be ringing for his <laughs> advice for, <laughs> for a long, long time. And I won't forget that one of the there was a sheriff there. I don't know if that was representing all the county sheriffs or whatever for Colorado at the Equine Center and what he's done to save horses because they would find horses wandering the roads or whatever, and they didn't know what to do with them. They didn't know where to take them, and now they do thanks to Bob Rohde and the, and the Dumb Friends League. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. It is. The, the the Harmony Equine Center is very unique, and it is something that Bob was very passionate about. And 
is a is a great resource, especially for those sheriffs. You know, it's it's number one goal at Harmony is to be this impounding facility for sheriffs departments across the state, and it has given them somewhere to take horses when exactly. they need to take them out of out of situations that aren't great. So, right. it's it's really yeah. Bob has really made a difference in the lives of pets, horses, people. Good man. Absolutely. And his wife, Jan, good people right there. That's right. And don't worry, well, who's going to run the show now? You've got a lovely person, veterinarian, April Steele, I've known for a long time. She's wonderful. Yeah, April's great. She has a really fun background because she did practice veterinary medicine for 18 years before coming to the Dumb Friends League. She's been with the league for a while, so she's new to her position, but not new to the Dumb Friends League. So she's very, very well-versed in all of the things that we have going on, all of our initiatives. She basically had the opportunity to work with Bob yes. for several years to know the organization inside and out and be able to step in and, you know, pretty seamlessly take, take, you know, take the reins and move forward. You know, she is a big believer in our organization and our mission, which is to work with our compassionate community to end pet homelessness and animal suffering. And she's going to continue to do that, all that work. Talking to Maya Brusso, public relations manager at the Dumb Friends League. Let's just shift gears a little bit because this is a big week for you guys. Probably, I would think the telethon is the biggest fundraiser you have throughout the year. It's one of the biggest. We have several big ones, but this is a big one. And this one's really exciting because it's a chance for us to to help people. You know, we were talking earlier about how animals come come to us and their journey through the shelter before they become available for adoption. This is an opportunity for people to to actually see that firsthand. They can see how animals come to us, what they go through, and then before they become available for adoption, and how when you make a donation to the Dumb Friends League, how your money helps these animals directly. It does help directly. And a lot of people, including myself, have all been donators, or, and it's just wonderful to see how that money goes to work. But this telethon... For years, I was involved with the telethon. It's it's so exciting, and you, and pets get adopted, and the money comes in, and everybody's all jacked up, and I'm eating dog food, and whatever <laughs> it is to make money, and it's just a great event, and it's this week. Yeah, it's Thursday, March 1st mm-hmm. on 9 News. It starts at 5 in the morning, goes all day long. And all day, you'll see stories about animals that have come to us and, and what their, you know, like I said, their journey. Some of them have come to us in, in really sad situations. What one that really stands out for me? You were talking about your chocolate lab. Yeah. We had a chocolate lab that came to, to came to us. His name was Lucky. He was named Lucky after the fact. He was found in the middle of a remote area of the wilderness, oh. tied to a tree with a face full of porcupine quills. You have got to be kidding me. Uh, thankfully, a hiker found him oh and carried goodness. him to safety and brought him to us so that he could get the care he needed. I never heard that story. Yeah, it's, I mean, I'm getting chills talking I mean, about it. Somebody tied him to a tree, just left him there. Left him there. And he's got porcupine quills in his face. How did he eat? How did he survive? He was very skinny when he came to us. Oh. And uh, I'm happy to report he's in a great home, but you have to see the video for it because... It was really, I, I was there when he came in. I saw him with that face full of porcupine quills. I watched as the veterinarians worked with him to get the quills out of his little snout. It is a really, I mean, the, it, it's amazing that we're able to help animals like Lucky. He's just one of so many. He's oh, a sure. representative of all of the animals that we help on our, on a daily basis at the Dumb Friends League. So then during the telethon on Thursday on 9 News, you'll be showing a lot of these videos like Lucky and probably several other pets. Yeah, there we have we have everything from cats to horses that you'll <laughs> you'll see stories about. One is another one that really stands out is Dash. He is a horse that came to the Dumb Friends League. He was described by a state veterinarian as the walking dead. Oh. He's 30 years old, came to us with not very many teeth, very underweight oh. and just in grave condition and we were able to help him out too and and again like I said these are things we are able to do because people support us. And the telethon really gives you that opportunity to see that. You get to see these stories about these animals and and how your money helps these animals get through that journey through the shelter and 
find new homes. It's a great story indeed. So it's all day on 9 News. And isn't all it day. also on Channel 20? There? Yes, also. Yeah. Yep, exactly. It's on KUSA and KTVD. So you'll see on both channels, we'll take over the entire hour of Colorado and Company. And Watch out, Denise. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll take we'll take over all of that and and just again, like I said, tell some great stories. Volunteer. Of course, we'll have adoptable pets as well. I can't forget to mention that. Oh, those puppies we used to hold on the. T- I mean, they all get adopted. They do. Yeah. And I can report, I have seen some of the puppies that will be there, and Uh-oh. they are. Uh oh ridiculously oh cute. My God. <laughs> so, well, if people can't watch, they can still help. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You can go to ddfl.org slash telethon now if you want to and donate to the telethon if you'd like. All of the money that's donated to the telethon goes directly to help animals in need that come to our shelter. That's a good thing. It is. And that's this Thursday on 9 News and their Channel 20 as well. And it goes off and on all day. Yes. Right? All day. Starts at 5 in the morning with the morning show. That's right. Which ought to be a lot of fun. But you have other big events throughout the year, too, that are fundraisers, don't you? Yeah. One of every, probably a favorite for everybody is the Furry Scurry. Oh, gosh. Everyone that's... loves the Furry Scurry. That is on May 5th this year. And... You know, we always say it, it, we average about 12,000 people, 5,000 dogs out at that event. So it is a really fun time. You can already register now at furryscurry.org. Get a team together, do some fundraising. Again, money that is raised from the Furry Scurry goes to help animals that come to the Dumb Friends League, both pets and horses. You know, I've been out to the Furry Scurry several times. It's amazing how all the pets get along. It's like they know it's a special event for the Dumb Friends League. You know, honestly, I was surprised about that, too. You know, you think when you have that many dogs. Yeah, there'd be an issue. No, the dogs were all. I've never seen more wagging tails in my life. (laughs) They were having the best time. All the people with huge smiles on their faces, too. It is such a fun event. Yeah, it is. And you can find out all that information about all the events right on your website. Yeah, absolutely. Go to ddfl.org. There's other smaller events you can always go to, too, like Yappy Hours, which are really fun. Oh, yeah. Talk about those, because I get the flyers (laughs) in the mail. What what is that all about? So, I mean, so in Colorado, we love two things, right? We love our dogs. And we like craft beer. And yes, so we do. Yes. <laughs> this is a chance to combine the two and go to fun local breweries, bring your dog with you. Dogs get to mingle, people get to mingle. And then there's also a give back portion to the Dumb Friends League for that as well. We have one coming up on March 14th. That one is at Comrade Brewery over actually really close to the Dumb Friends League, right sure. by the shelter. Sure. And uh, it's a St. Patrick's Day theme one. So. Oh, that's trouble right there. Yeah, we always ask too. Yeah, you can dress your pet up, dress yourself up. It's, that kind of stuff is really fun too. And what other, don't you do like a cooking thing? Did I read that where they have chefs come out and you buy tickets to come out? They, they did have something with our board recently yeah, for that. Yeah. That. I don't know if we have any no. additional ones of those coming up, but stay tuned. Always check out the website. There's always all kinds of great things going on. That website's really good, too. It really is. It shows a lot of pets. You get all excited. It's, it's kind of fun. So let's back up just a little bit, Maya. And we've talked about a lot of information today. If people are out there, they want to adopt, adopt pets. If they have a pet they have to get rid of, unfortunately, mm-hmm. How does that all work again? What do they need to do? They just come out to the Dumb Friends League, Quebec Street Shelter, Buddy Center? Yeah, so, yeah, you can use either location for that. You can come to the Buddy Center in Castle Rock. It's right by the outlets at Castle Rock if you right haven't. There. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's right there. Really easy to find over there. And the Quebec Street Shelter is on the corner of Evans and Quebec over there. And, yeah, if you're interested in adopting a pet, we always tell people first look online and see what pets are available because the pet you like might be at the buddy center and not in Quebec. So right. that way you make sure you know which which location the pet you want to see is at and then just come on in and meet, you know. It's best to come in, meet with the pet, bring any family member with you who is going to live in the home with the pet on a regular basis, too. It's always a good idea for everyone to have a chance to meet. Make sure it's a good match for the whole family. Also, if you're adopting a dog and you already have a resident dog, we always tell you, bring your dog with. It's a good. Sure. Let's make sure they can meet in some neutral territory. Make sure things are good and we're not going to have any issues. And, you know, it's the actual adoption process is pretty simple. Right. Come in, fill out the application, learn about the animal. And off you go. And even if you've checked the pictures on the website, it changes all the time. Yes. There's news all the time. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. go back and and check again for sure. Yeah. And don't forget to watch Have a Heart for Homeless Pets Telethon, 9 News, this Thursday, March 1st. It's the big fundraiser for the Dumb Friends League. A lot of fun. Adopt pets. Donate cash. Help the cause. 
19,000 pets you guys saved last year. That's right. That's incredible. And it, it's an ongoing process. It is. And, and like I said before, we can't do it without the support of our community. No, and it's a big support, too. And people love their animals in Colorado, and they love their dogs in particular. That's for sure. That's, and that's if you true. have a good dog and you're single, you can probably, you know, meet somebody. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's what my daughter's we, always saying. We've talked about that, too. <laughs> yes, yes, we have. <laughs> hey, Maya, thanks for coming in today. We really appreciate you being on Mile High Magazine. And keep up all the good work you're doing for the Dumb Friends League. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you all uh, for listening. Mile High Magazine, it will continue after a, a bit of a break. And then we'll talk to you all again next week, too. Have a great day. Now, we continue with Mile High Magazine. Here's your host, Adam Morgan. February is Black History Month, and for this last weekend, we share a few moments with a local history maker. Denver is renowned in the world for its natural environment conducive to being a health benefit for persons with asthma. People from around the country have come to Denver and the National Asthma Center at National Jewish Medical and Research Hospital to gain control of their ailment. Greetings again. I'm Adam Morgan. One of those who found himself in Denver relocating from Chicago was a young lad by the name of Wellington Webb. At one point, his asthma had gotten so bad, they had to take him to the hospital to give him shots 10 minutes apart. And on another occasion, he had to be placed in a hospital bed draped with plastic with oxygen pumped in to help him breathe. The asthma and the move changed his life forever. On this edition, the three-term Denver mayor, Wellington Webb. His inspiring autobiography from Full Compress is titled, Wellington Webb, The Myth, The Mayor, and The Making of Modern Denver. We were so pleased that President Clinton chose to have the summit. Heads of, you know, leaders of, you know, seven industrial nations, you know, Japan, Italy, France, Germany, um, Great Britain, um, Canada, uh, Soviet Union, United States. It was it was really special, and and, and having a chance to meet each of these individuals mm-hmm. as well was, uh, you know, that's that's once in a lifetime stuff. You don't you, you get one shot never in most yeah, people's yeah. lifetime. <laughs> okay. You know, and I said, you know, I've had a chance to, um, you know, I've had a great uh, political career that's. Uh, led me down a lot of roads that I would not have ordinarily traveled that uh, from Muhammad Ali to becoming, you know, friends of the King family and Coretta and, and, the, and, and you know, her kids mm-hmm. and uh, presidents of countries. And, you know, we also brought uh, uh, the president of Mozambique came to Denver. President mm-hmm. uh, Rawlings from uh, Ghana came to Denver. Uh, Prime Minister Begin came um, um, to Denver. The emperor and empress of Japan came to Denver. I mean, we've had a real road show of uh, uh, Prime Minister of China, uh, Zhu Ranji, and mm-hmm. uh, he invited me to China, and I accepted his invitation. I was the last American to meet with him before he went out of office. In your political career, what's the one moment where you might, when you said to yourself, Wellington, you are truly blessed? Well, there have been a lot of those. <laughs> but the one moment I was awestruck, uh-huh. was meeting Nelson Mandela. It was, uh, he has such a power of presence. And uh, you, I think everybody just kinds of comes under his banner and it's, it's um, there's a reverence about him. And, uh-huh. and you're saying, this guy spent 27, 28 years in prison and it's, and he has no bitterness. Um, um, it's just a special... And and for me, that was kind of the ultimate because as a kid, when I first got involved in politics and I was running around with a darshiki and teaching black studies at CU Denver and, mm-hmm. and the most important things to me were the Freedom Africa Movement mm-hmm. of countries of Angola, Guinea-Bissau, Mozambique, right. uh, you know, Zimbabwe. Yeah, uh, sounds like something you got from Ernest Patterson. Uh, yeah, Doc and I were real close. and um, But that piece was... Um, been in Mandela's presence, flying on Air Force One. I mean, another special time was spending, you know, weekend at the White House, and and I was sharing with President Clinton, you know, it's just so amazing. My daddy never graduated from high school. Mm-hmm. He worked 41 years for Chicago Northwestern Railroad. We came to Denver because he worked on the railroad right. and found Denver. 
and here his son, in less than a generation, was flying on Air Force One with the President of the United States, and that's that's a big leap. Oh um, yeah, you know, and it, you know, and in the book, I tried to also uh, parts of the stories because I try to find some humor because life you have to find humor mm-hmm. in order to survive it. Um, and yeah. I remember I was being uh, two FBI agents came to my office and. Uh, they said they wanted to, you know, they were doing an investigation for NDC. And I stayed at the White House during this time period. And I said yes. And then they asked me, uh, did I go in this part of the White House or where, which rooms? And I had a diagram. And then I had mm-hmm. a diagram every room I was in and how long I stayed there. And then they started asking me about, did I see this or did I see that? And I said, yes, I did. Or no, I didn't. And, and then afterwards they said, well, that concludes our comments. And I, and I, and I was so relieved and I laughed. And I said, uh, so you guys aren't here to ask me about those matches and towels and M&Ms and all those little mementos <laughs> I took out of the White House to bring back to Denver to, to distribute to friends and staff? And they started laughing. They said, mm-hmm. no, that's not why we're here. <laughs> goodness, goodness. Then I, was, then I was, I had two or three trips there. Wilma went with me on, uh, we stayed one weekend, then a couple other times I was there by myself. And I remember I was sleeping in the in the Lincoln bedroom, which is mm-hmm. a long bed. I mean, it fits someone my height because Mrs. Lincoln had it built, custom built for Abraham Lincoln, who right. never slept in it because of the cost of it. And, uh, and I was laying in there, and most of the ushers, which is what most of the staff at the White House are called, which are mm-hmm. career people, many of them are African-American, and one of them knocked on the door because I was late getting up. And he, he said, uh, Mayor Webb, you um, should get up at this point in time so you can have breakfast with the president and and, uh, and I know you have some other meetings today. And I said, uh, I said, well, just take a look at me. <laughs> and he said, sir. He said, I said, well, don't I look good laying in this bed? This, didn't this look good seeing a black man laying in this Lincoln bedroom? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he just about started laughing and he caught himself. Mm-hmm. Because they all had this poker face. And, and I know he laughed later because... When I was getting ready to part and came back to the White House from other social functions, I'd see other members of the staff pointing to me oh. as if to say, yeah, that's the one that was talking about the Lincoln <laughs> bedroom. <laughs> Why should a kid think about becoming involved in politics? Um, I think uh, everyone should be involved in Politics with either big P or small P, I don't think they all have to run for office, but I think they need to be concerned about the community. Okay, big P meaning running for office, small small P P meaning... You're concerned about your neighborhood, and you're engaged in that. Mm -hmm. Because whether the stop sign gets put up on the corner, whether the traffic light is put there, the caution light, whether it's an overpass so the kids can walk over a busy street, uh, whether it's the hours of the recreation center, those decisions are going to be made either with you or without you. And if you're part of the process, then you have input into making those decisions. If you're not part of the process, then there will be other people that would make the decision for you. One of the the things I took, especially from the outline on the book and the uh, chapter scan I was doing, you were also one of the best prepared mayors from your elected office to heading regulatory agencies to yeah. to heading Region 8 under Well, Jim, Adam, that's, that, that, that's a good point because I think that in most cases, um, I think people had forgotten how much, how broad my experience level is. Mm-hmm. And so when we were talking about health care, I ran a federal health agency. And so when they started talking about health care, uh, financing administration, and Medicaid uh, Medicaid reimbursement rates or disproportionate share or different financial uh, accounting systems. I already knew that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Medicaid management information systems. Uh, I was already brought up in that. And I chaired the health committee uh, while I was in the legislature. So it was, um, you know, and introduced and worked with other legislators on bills that um, everything from my bill to uh, mandate group health insurance policies to have provide coverage for alcoholism and, and uh, drug abuse and complications in pregnancy for women that are having difficulty with deliveries and uh, problems after birth of a child. All right. um, so between that, you know, the health piece and the regulatory agencies piece, uh, I had a lot more management experience than I think people knew. The 
thing about preparation, you have a lot of young adults that are graduating from college saying, I have a college degree, I'm ready for all the big stuff now. But you had the key major steps along the way that when you got ready, when the big time showed up, you had the credentials, you had the experience, you had the education, you had everything you had. You needed to be successful. And I made some mistakes along the way. Only people that have a lot of decisions to make the more decisions you make, they're not all going to be correct, and you're going right. to miss on some. But what you do want to have is that the preponderance of decisions you make are the right ones. Which one would and, you want to take uh, back now? Oh, I, you know, I, I've always said the concessions policy at the airport. Um, it mm-hmm. was a great policy, but we didn't really describe it right. Right. Um, people thought, you know, minorities were incompetent in getting contracts to do work out there when they were overqualified, and we let the press frame the issue. Um I, sh- I should have been a little more sensitive to um, some of the some of the appointments I made, and some I didn't make. Mm-hmm. You know, I, there was one. I had one son that uh, had a job with a contractor that he found on his own carrying bricks, carrying hog. Yeah, and I told him he shouldn't get it because it looked like it might be a perception of nepotism. So I should have fought for him. He should have had that job because hey, nobody carrying bricks making no decision on how the airport's being built. You know, you're. Your kids have to be able to work and have to be able to um, to get a job and be employed, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and only people that are in elected office really feel some of that. Uh, Roy Romer's son, Chris, practically had to move to New Mexico. My daughter had to, could only work in Jefferson County because it happens more on the professional level because my daughter's a lawyer. She ended up working in the Jefferson County DA's office as opposed right. to being in Denver so that it wouldn't be any kinds of conflicts. I mean, it's hard... Public life is hard on kids, and I was on the bus, and Bill Ritter's kids were all saying, Mayor, where, 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 what can we expect? And I said, well, just think, now, once your dad is elected, your grades will be public information. <laughs> Who you date will be public information. And I saw the blood start to drain out of their face. But I, I said, they're going to be good things, too. Because mm-hmm. I said, you know, George Bush's daughters, if they go out, you know, it's a subject of... One of these magazines, and you know, if they're in a, you know, in a club or who they're with, or, I mean, anybody that's, um, you know, in the public eye, it's hard on kids. It's hard yeah. on, it's hard on families. It's hard on everybody. You have a chapter that talks about legacy. You're going to leave a legacy with a big L. Would you think that people who just get involved with their block, they have a, a legacy to leave too? What's well, the everybody? Of that? Every, everybody has a story. Uh, the, the legacy piece might be. Might have been more important for me because of my ethnicity. Uh, so many people think that um, that history is not important, and so many people think it doesn't matter. I think it matters that that we did a good job, and that people remember that, and that they don't take it for granted. A lot of people gave a lot of time, a lot of energy, and I had twelve people die during the twelve years I was mayor that worked for me. Really, one a year, and. Um, some of them were overworked. I mean, Bill Smith, who was building the airport, died of a brain tumor. Jennifer Moulton, who was the best planning director in the United States of America, died two months after we left office. She was sick the last year and a half. You get close to these people. You see them more than you see some of your family members, and um, they all become special, and you don't want to see their work and what their contributions go for naught. And, you know, I don't think anybody wants to be known as, well, they were a klutz, so they didn't do anything. And I just have a sense, as an African-American, the people of Denver gave me an opportunity, and I tried to do the best I could at it. And I th- I think I did a good job, and I think history will treat our administration as, as having done well. Mm-hmm. What do you want the reader to take away from Wellington Webb, the man, the mayor, and the making of <laughs> modern Denver? Um, that it's uh, this is a great country. And that this is a story of a a 12-year-old sickly kid that can't breathe that came to Denver, uh, that was shy and introverted, who had family challenges with a mother who fought alcoholism, that went that um, had strong family roots primarily from a grandmother, and that uh, lived from big houses to housing projects. Mm-hmm but was able to work his way into um, planting both feet firmly and choosing a political career where, given the opportunity and uh, God's blessings and the support of many people and a strong family base, was able to lead this city and um, 
And I think history will judge that we did a pretty good job. I think it will, too. Just judge? Oh, yeah. It's a <laughs> slam dunk, <laughs> if anything about, about that. Mayor Wellington Webb, thank you for joining us. My pleasure. We thank former Denver Mayor Wellington Webb for sharing with us insights to his book, Wellington Webb, The Man, The Mayor, and The Making of Modern Denver. I'm Adam Morgan. Do keep in touch. Stay on your game. And we thank you for sharing a few moments of your weekend with us. Now, we continue with Mile High Magazine. Here's your host, Melissa Moore. It's Mile High Magazine. Hi, it's Melissa Moore. Thank you for joining us on this Sunday. Well, next week, uh, a big week. It's National Eating Disorders Awareness Week. And so we've got two experts in the field. Sabrina, tell me a little bit about what you do. Yeah, I'm the program director at the Eating Disorder Foundation in Denver. um, And we're a nonprofit organization that offers free support groups and education to the community. So I really work with a lot of volunteers and specialists in the field to try to be a main resource center for people who are in need of uh, more support and more education about eating disorders. Okay, wonderful. And Monty, what is your position? I'm the Regional Managing Director of Clinical Services at Eating Recovery Center in Denver, Colorado. We're a fully integrated level of care system for the treatment of eating disorders and other related illnesses. Is it an inpatient program? Inpatient, residential, partial hospitalization, outpatient services. Okay. We treat uh, traditional anorexia, bulimia, um, but also we have a great uh, binge eating disorder program too. Well, I think that's a great place to start. Let's talk about what is an eating disorder because you hear a lot of people talk about, and I think we know about the anorexia, bulimia, we've heard of that too, but there are other eating disorders going on today. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Binge eating disorder is actually our most uh, common eating disorder. Uh, We also have eating disorders uh, that you might not expect are eating disorders, such as avoidant, restrictive food Mm -hmm. intake disorder, which can often start in childhood. And it's about an aversion to food or the sensory feel of food, but without the shape and weight concerns. So it really does come down to those sensory issues. Yes, it does. And and here in Colorado, actually, we, we're also challenged with a lot of folks that struggle with orthorexia, which is a disorder, but it describes a person's eating disorder behaviors where they try to get more and more healthy and eliminate uh, different kinds of foods out of the diet and, and to the point where they're nutritionally deprived and actually can't get in enough um, fuel to their body. Okay. Yeah, I know we've got so many people who are health conscious in Colorado, so it sounds like that's taking it to the other extreme. Exactly. Yep. So how does somebody who's listening right now know? I mean, I think some people know in their gut, yeah, I've got an eating disorder, I've got a problem with food, whatever it may be. But what is actually the definition of somebody who has an eating disorder? Great question. So I would say the first thing to know is how much of your headspace is involved in thinking about food, about getting rid of food, how to obtain food, and problem-solving your day around food in your body. So if you're spending a majority of your thoughts and your time on um, the stuff that goes in and the stuff that goes out, that that might be a sign that you're really struggling with something. Uh, People use food in their body in many different ways. And basically, an eating disorder is about solving problems and pain, distress, mental distress, Um, through different behaviors with Mm -hmm. how you might um, restrict your diet or how you might overexercise. And so not uh, no eating disorder is the same. And it really spans across age groups, across uh, different races. Every gender, males have eating disorders too. That's a, a myth that it's only women with eating disorders. I've treated patients from age 8 to 81. Well, and it's interesting you bring up men. I, I was just watching something about our Olympic skaters. Yes. The men were talking about just how rampant it is to have an eating disorder because you want to be lighter and faster on the ice and how some of them will survive on a couple pieces of bread a day. And that's all the calories they're taking in. And you think about how many hours they're out on the ice. And so grueling and and how um, difficult that must be to be such a talented athlete and not even feeling that you're worth it enough to fuel your body. So as we're talking about eating disorders and next week is National Eating Disorders Awareness Week talking with two experts here in Denver about the information. What for people who are listening 
and who know, hey, I know I'm struggling with this. Maybe I've been struggling all my life. You never know when you're going to reach that point where you say, yeah, I need to get some help. What is the first thing as, as they're listening right now to the various different kinds of eating disorders? What's the first thing they can do to start getting some help? Well, the first thing to know is it's it's never too soon to reach out. Um, so we have a lot of resources here in Denver, which is remarkable. Um, the Eating Disorder Foundation offering a good place to get more resources in which we have um, Eating Recovery Center as a treatment center, um, ED Care is another treatment facility, and we have um, Acute, which is another facility, and Denver Health. It's very unique for us to have such such specialists that are so close by to be treating people. And one thing I'd want to add, too, is even though there's are these terms of different eating disorders, you don't have to be diagnosed to be struggling um, with, you know, with something going on in your life, uh, with some kind of body image. It, it doesn't need to be diagnosed to be uh, worth reaching out for. Um, so the first thing to do, I'd say, is to is to call um, and reach out to a professional, someone who's working within the field to ask questions and mm-hmm. say, hey, is this something that that I'm struggling with and what should I do next? And now would be a great time to give out the phone number for your organization and a website and let people know, hey, here's a great place to get started. The foundation's phone number is 303-322-3373. And our website has a lot of good resources and and treatment directory as well um, at www.eatingdisorderfoundation.org. I think that is a good spot for people to get started. But let's talk about the reality. What kind of numbers are we talking about as far as eating disorders and who they're affecting right now in the United States? Over 30 million people are affected by eating disorders. Uh, We would see also if you have a family member or you yourself struggled with an eating disorder, that you're more likely to pass those genetics on. So for anorexia, um, you're 12 times more likely if you have anorexia to pass that along. And for bulimia nervosa, four times more likely. And is that you're you're more likely to pass it on if you're in recovery? Or are you talking about somebody who's not in recovery? You're talking about somebody who's who has, you know, this eating disorder currently going on? Purely from a genetic standpoint. So we say in eating disorders that... Genetics load the gun and environment pulls the trigger. So you Mm -hmm. have to have a combination of both where you might be genetically loaded to develop an eating disorder. It may also take an environment to trigger. So for both of them working in tandem. And many people find that what might start eating disordered behavior is not necessarily what maintains it. And a great example is a girl going through puberty. I don't know if you know this, but girls gain an average of 40 pounds Yes, 40 pounds um, when they're going through puberty. So naturally, that's a time when they might start dieting or wanting to change their body size because of social peer pressure. And then they find that what they do with their food and dieting also may serve another purpose. It may help them with social anxiety. It might help them get through a hard time like a parent's divorce too. So Mm -hmm. it it compounds itself as it develops. So for parents listening right now that don't have an eating disorder, but they see some of these behaviors you're talking about in their kids, especially their young girls, what do they do? Yeah, the most important thing is to notice. The many, many patients I've treated over the years would say that even if I was mad at you, I really appreciated you for noticing for saying something. And that can can be something that limits people from having the conversation is they're afraid if I approach this person, they might get mad at me, but I'd rather them get mad mm-hmm. and save a life than not say anything at all. And so then I guess the follow-up question be for parents, you notice something's going on with your child. When do you reach out and get help? When do you say, this is not okay? This is some major red flags going on right now. I've had conversations. We've, we're doing everything we can when do you get help? Well, you can always call Eating Recovery Center. Um, as Sabrina mentioned, we have a lot of great resources in Denver, Colorado. And at Eating Recovery Center, we'll do a free assessment with a master's level clinician. Perfect. And a parent can call and get that assessment as well. It's never too soon to reach out. So I think coming from compassion um, is the first place to start talking with anyone that's struggling. If, if it's an adolescent, your child, or friend, or anyone else that you know, I'm really taking into consideration that eating disorders are unfortunately filled with shame and isolation and a desire to be very secretive. Mm -hmm. Um, So when talking with anybody that you might feel is struggling, you know, is coming at it from a very soft place with concern and compassion. 
But there's also another tragic side to this story for those people that don't get help is that it can lead to death. Yeah. Eating disorders um, are deadly. They're the highest, highest mortality rate of mental illnesses. They're detrimental to the body. And you cannot look at somebody and know what's going on within them. And when somebody is struggling with an eating disorder, no matter their weight, their size, their appearance, there is a lot of damage going on within. Um, And somebody could have a heart attack. Suicide is another one of those high Mm. mortality rates. Yeah, Every organ system in the body can be affected by an eating disorder. I was going to say, yeah, explain to me what happens when you're denying your body the nutrition or you're giving it so much, maybe, Mm -hmm. you know, something like bulimia where you're you're binging and you're purging. What does happen Mm -hmm. to the body physically? Yeah, some signs to look for are dizziness and fatigue, um, uh, hair falling out. For folks who are restricting their food intake, the body will grow what's called lanugo, which is a soft uh, fuzzy down on the face and on the arms to try to, it's the body's way of trying to keep them warm. Uh, For bulimics, often the dentist is the first person to notice that there's an issue because of erosion on the tooth enamel. Um, You might notice abrasions on the um, fingers from uh, purging gastrointestinal problems oftentimes. We see a lot of patients come in thinking that they actually are trying to solve the problem of a medical condition when it's really an eating disorder condition. And they don't have an awareness, actually, that what they do with their food is an eating disorder. What do you mean? Give me an example. Oh, for somebody, for example, who might have extreme anxiety and their stomach gets in knots and feels very um, painful for them to take in food or digest their food. The root cause of that might actually be their anxiety. And their stomach actually does hurt, uh, Mm -hmm. but there's no organic inside cause for that. It's actually rooted in the emotional. So you're having to really kind of dig through the layers to find out what may be triggering this disease. Exactly. Let's say they are diagnosed with an eating disorder, whether it's anorexia or bulimia. What is the next step? Usually you get a recommendation from a professional for a level of care of treatment whether that's starting with an outpatient appointment where you see a clinician or a dietitian one time a week, maybe support groups at the Eating Disorder Foundation is a great place to start if you're worried about giving up time in your day to start treating yourself. I mean, there are some folks that may come to us that need to go to the hospital right away, and we can't wait a minute longer because they really are um, medically unstable or psychiatrically unstable. Uh, But the next step is getting yourself help. And fortunately, uh, many of our insurance companies will pay very well for um, eating disorder care. There used to be a time when eating disorder care wasn't reimbursed very well by insurance companies, but that climate has changed. So you can also look at your insurance benefits to see in your behavioral health and medical benefits what um, you might be able to access to get care. And you both have said something, and I just want to kind of put it out there. You said eating disorders and a mental illness. Do they always go together? I think so. I haven't really seen a straight eating disorder. Uh, I like to say that an eating disorder often develops as a problem that's solving another problem, too. So uh, maybe somebody's depressed and they find that they uh, get a Their eating disorder alleviates the symptoms of depression. There are folks out there that just struggle with eating. But as I said before about how it compounds itself, you might find easily that it solves other problems that we have to address at the same time. Mm -hmm. So it's important to have skilled clinicians that can look at the whole picture. And I guess a question for both of you, you know, you hear this and obviously eating disorders um, are a big deal. We've got National Eating Disorder Week coming up here. It is running February 26th through March 4th. And I think as you hear this and you hear the sadness in these stories, I think I want to end on a little bit of hope. Is there recovery? Is there hope? Absolutely. Recovery looks different for each person, as in somebody's going to be struggling with their eating disorder in a very different way. um, And they get to recover from that eating disorder in in all numbers away. There is so much hope. And I think that that's why there's so many of us in this field trying to figure out the different ways in which we can you know, get people the education and the patients that they need, the treatment that they need. Bonnie, is there anything you want to add to that? Yes. Um, I want to add that one, uh, if you are struggling, you do deserve a life of meaning and value. And how I would um, treat that is to help you focus, turn, turn away on all of your time being about 
problem solving, the things that you don't want to have, and also help you to see that there is a life worth recovering for, for. All right. Well, thank you both so much for being here, Bonnie, for folks to get in touch with you at the Eating Recovery Center. Where should they call? Where should they go? Yep. Go to eatingrecovery.com. On, there's a free screening tool also on the website, or you can dial our local number at 303-825-8584. And Sabrina, to get a hold of you again? Yes. Um, our website that lists all of our first free support groups at www.eatingdisorderfoundation.org. And our phone number, 303-322-3373. And like you said, it's never too early. It's never too late, I guess would also be the other saying, mm-hmm. to reach out and get help for you or for someone you love. Yes. Thank right. you, Melissa. Thank, Thank you, you both so for being much. here so much. It's Mile High Magazine. I'm Melissa Moore. Thanks for joining me on this Sunday. You have been listening to Mile High Magazine. A look at the issues in people shaping Colorado. Presented by the Public Affairs Department of Bonneville, Denver. If you have a suggestion for a future program or a question, please send an email to publicaffairs at bonneville.com. Thanks for listening to Mile High Magazine.